Okay, so we're back here on April the 15th. This will be Lesson 23 from the Gospel of Matthew. We pick up, we're going to finish up, hopefully today, I think we will, the last, the last three verses in chapter 4 of Matthew. And then we'll move on to the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes and spend a good bit of time there, I trust. But today, we're, uh, we're going to kind of close out uh, this section of Scripture, and we really have a whole different topic to deal with uh, from what we've been looking at. It does go back, I think, and reestablish what the purpose of Matthew is in the first place, and that's to present Jesus as the, the true Messiah and, uh, again, the emphasis upon his kingship and so forth, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. So he does that in a very... A compact way here in these last three verses, but it gives us some things to take off on and to look at, particularly his healing ministry. So we'll look at that this morning in, in some detail. So this passage of scripture just speaks primarily about Jesus' divine credentials, if you will. It focuses on his teaching, it focuses on his preaching, and then it focuses on his works or his healing ministry. The overall theme that we've talked about remains the same. That, of course, is Jesus as Messiah and the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And you'll recall those are synonymous. Those are the mean the same. There's even a verse of Scripture we looked at where Jesus uses them both in the same sentence. So we know that they're the same, and that's what it focuses upon. That is Matthew's intent. So we're seeing Jesus as the Christ more than just a mere man. That's the general purpose, if you will, of all the Gospels. A very general purpose. So we do that. So we're looking at him, his word, the word that he spoke, and his works. His works, because they testified about who he is. So, we often talk about Scripture, and rightly so, being uh, the best evidence of Scripture. In other words, Scripture validates itself. You have, for instance, in John chapter 5, John chapter 5, you've got four witnesses there that John puts forth that talk about Christ, that serve uh, as witnesses as far as who, uh, far as who he is in, in validation or an attestation of who Christ is. There are four there, if you look. And uh, it talks about the witness initially of John the Baptist in chapter 5 of John, beginning with verse 31 there. John the Baptist witnessed, of course, as to who he was. Behold, he said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, not once, but twice. You have uh, the witness of the works of Christ, mentioned in verse 3, the things that he did, which were specific Old Testament fulfillments. Isaiah talked about what he would do, and he did those things. You'll recall that that is the way that he encouraged John the Baptist, when John was like, you know, trying to put two and two together, I guess when his flesh kind of started to creep up on him and he found himself in, in a prison and knew what was probably awaiting him and he sent his disciples to Christ to say, are you the one that we're to wait for or are we, are we looking for someone else? What a, what a statement from John, who was so faithful, who was the greatest preacher, Christ said, of that time. Nobody else could match the preaching of John the Baptist. And again, we looked at that in detail when we first got into the second chapter of Matthew. And yet, 
we see his, his frailness, his, his, his humanness here, his frailty rather. Christ responded to him by saying, go back and tell John the Baptist, you know, what was it? How the lame walk, how the deaf hear, how to the poor. The gospel is preached. And it drives us back to the validation. The validation isn't somebody's personality, okay? It's not that. It's about the Word. Even Christ, though He was the living Word of God, He focused upon the Scriptures. I hope I made that clear last Sunday morning. But that's what He, what he did. It's about what the Scriptures say about Him. That's what convinces us. That's where the power is, the truth of God's Word. So you have the witness of John the Baptist. You have the witness of the works of Christ. Then you have the witness of the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him more than once in the Scriptures. And then, of course, the witness of the Scriptures themselves to include now both the Old and the New Testament. It's about what the Word says. We're people of the Word. And that's where we get our encouragement. That's what causes us to change. We embrace the Word of God. We believe the Word of God. And God gives us the strength to do that through His Spirit. And I wanted to stop here. I want to pick up my Bible here and go to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 12. I think I got it marked. We begin talking about Jesus and talking about why he has come and in chapter 12 I want to look at verses 44 through 50 Jesus cried out and said he who believes in me does not believe in me wait let me start over and Jesus cried out and said he who believes in me does not believe in me but in him who sent me he who sees me sees the one who sent me I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will remain in will not remain rather in darkness if anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them i do not judge him for i did not come to judge the world he's talking about at that particular time but to save the world he who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him and what is it the word i spoke is what will judge him at the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father Himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. So we focus again upon the Word of Christ. Jesus Himself, our example, says you look to the Word of God. Believe what the Word of God says about me. And of course, when he says, you know, in another place, you know, if you don't believe my works, believe the works that I do, what he's saying there, in essence, believe what the Old Testament has said that I will do. That literally goes back to the witness of the Word, specifically from Isaiah in the Old Testament. So that's the emphasis. And that's why I'm so glad that I go to a church that lifts up the Word of God above all else. That sounds so simple, but that is the focus. That's where the battle is. That's what's trying, the world is trying to either get totally rid of or to melt it down, water it down so much that you really can't recognize that it's vanishing before your eyes. That's the kind of environment that we live in today. So, 
We began this morning again with chapter 4, verse 23. And it tells us that Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, and He was doing three things, it says. Three things. I just love the way Matthew goes back and just kind of brings these together. He was teaching in their synagogues. He was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And He was healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. If there was some way we could just for a moment, just kind of in our minds, go back to this, this time when Jesus is doing all this marvelous, and it mentions teaching before preaching here, but teaching and preaching or proclaiming and healing. This is just an amazing time to be on the face of the earth, particularly in the Middle East. I mean, without giving a, a history lesson, I mean, we know what life was like back then. It was, it was pretty much a hand-to-mouth existence for everyone except for just a handful of people who were well-off and politically connected or whatever, rich. Um, you know, even amongst the Jews and so forth, you can uh, not justify but understand them wanting to hang on to their position because their position in life gave them um, a standing that no one else had that basically, as, as much as could be in that time, ensured their well-being. You understand what I'm saying? They were going to be taken care of. And then somebody comes along and questions that whole paradigm, you know, the truth of that whole thing. This is why they got upset. This is why they said plainly, you know, and tried to blame it on the Romans. You know, if we don't, if we don't squelch these issues with Jesus, the Romans will come and take away our place. Or the people is manifested other ways. If we don't stop Jesus, then, the, then everybody is going to go to Him and listen to Him. And where will that leave us? What about our well-being? And of course, pride is involved in a lot of that, not just their, their physical needs and so forth. But all that's tied up into, into one box. a serious, serious thing with them. And Jesus was going throughout teaching in their synagogues, as was His manner. Christ came first to the house of Israel. He was doing that in that area. And he was just, as it, when it says proclaiming, it's just talking about preaching in and, of its, it's in and of itself, a herald, as it says. And it says that he was going throughout Galilee. And the word that it uses there in the original language means that he was going about quickly. He was going here. He was going there. It's, it's, every, uh, it's a picture of a man on a mission, like there's no downtime. He might even be repeating some places. He's, he's doing everything he can to get the message of the gospel out, who he is in this particular area. So it's like, you know, this way. This is what he's, he's doing, just going, going, going. Continual action is what it's talking about. And that word teaching, you know, we get the word didactic from that, to pass or the passing on of information, and it refers specifically to explanation or uh, clarification of a particular message. It's reminiscent in my mind of what you see in Nehemiah chapter 8, you know, where Ezra went around and said that he gave the sense of the word that, that was being preached. They went around and they helped people understand. And it begins with the word teaching, you know, not just the more general term preaching. But this is what he did. He was clarifying issues from the Old Testament, of course, and ultimately declaring who He is. 
And it says that he was doing this first and foremost in the synagogues. This is where he went to teach. Now, can you imagine him coming in? Now, synagogue life, uh, they would, as, I, as it says, they would take a portion of Scripture and read it. And there would be some uh, opportunity normally at the end where someone would take that Scripture and, and attempt to explain it. You know, what was Moses really saying regarding the law here? What were the prophets uh, really trying to convey? That, that went, that happened. Um, but so often, because it didn't involve the reality of Christ, you know, was inaccurate. It was inaccurate. That's why Jesus, as I said last week, would say, hey, he says, I'm not the one who condemns you. It's the word that condemns you. You claim to believe Moses. Let me paraphrase. Moses talked about me and you don't believe me because you don't understand it. Okay, you don't understand it in its true light. If you believe Moses, the giver of the law, you would believe me because it's clear. It's clear. Same with that of the prophets. Synagogue life. Now, synagogues were developed, a little bit of history here, during the Babylonian Empire. You know, it's just a local assembly. It's, of course, not the temple or the tabernacle. It's a synagogue. There was a rule you had to have at least, I believe it was 10 people before you could justify building or identifying a synagogue. Uh, and it was the most important institution in Jewish life because everything happened there. Um, they must have had a big fellowship hall because they did all those kind of things as well. They gathered there uh, literally for much of their social life. The religious community did. The temple was the most holy, but the synagogue was that local place where, where you could go, much like we do today in the local New Testament church. It was indeed the focal point for religion. Politics was discussed and talked about there. All of their social life, social activities pretty much centered around that. It involved work, worship, study, legal activities. They, they handled suits, if you will, or issues that people had with one another over property rights or billing or whatever. They would intervene and, and handle those kind of things among the people. Um, one of the worst things that could happen to a good Jew was to be disfellowshipped. That's what the word means. Uh, I wanted to pronounce this, but man, this is a doozy. Aposunagogos. Aposunagogos, okay? And it means disfellowshipped. Uh, Jesus was very sensitive to that. You may remember back in John 9 when he healed the blind man, it said when Jesus heard that he had been what? Thrown out. That's just the term that they use. Cast out. They knew what he meant. Cast out of the the synagogue, cast out of the temple, wherever. That was in Jerusalem. He went to him because this was a huge issue. You couldn't socialize. Your needs couldn't be met within the Jewish community if you were thrown out of the synagogue. Jesus had compassion on him and went to him. In, in uh, chapter 12 of John, the Pharisees would talk about doing things or taking certain actions and not... Uh, not being willing to confess the true Christ because of fear of being thrown out of the synagogue. A very serious, serious thing. These synagogues were most often built on a hill. Most of them had like a, uh, a tall pole or a pinnacle on the highest point of their building for the obvious purpose of people being able to see it. Somebody coming into town or whatever from another place that could be able to identify the synagogue, because if you had a need, that's where you would go. And certainly if you wanted to worship, that's where 
you would go. Sometimes they were built uh, on the riverbanks, it said. Uh, there is, uh, historically, we know that in Capernaum, they would build these roofless synagogues on the riverbank where people could see them when they were coming in on the river. They would do that. They held special services on the second and fifth days of the week where they read from the Torah, which is the law, and then they would read from the prophets as well. That would involve prayers and singing, and there would be a time for responses that people could share and, I guess, talk about what the Scripture means to them or whatever, or what was going on in the life. And then there was that time of explaining that, as I said, kind of mirrors what we look at from Nehemiah chapter 8. So that was what went on there. Jesus would go and would partake in that. The best example that we have, I think, is is in Luke chapter 4 when he's back in his hometown of Nazareth and he goes up there and they hand him the scroll of Isaiah and he gets up and reads as the custom would be and uh, really loads up their boat that day. Gives them a whole lot more than they bargained for, okay? Because he in essence says this scripture, talking about Messiah, he says this is fulfilled in your hearing, okay? So he begins telling the truth. They're heralding him. They're they're so glad that he's there. The old hometown boy come home, but as you know, before it's over, they're going to throw him off a cliff just from telling them the truth about who he is. So, so he's teaching. He's proclaiming Caruso, and it literally means to teach or to herald, to announce, okay? This is what he would do uh, in preparation for the teaching. And he was going about all these places in and around Galilee to do that very thing. What was he preaching? It says the gospel. He was preaching the good news about Christ, the good news about Messiah, the good news about redemption. And of course, you know, they were looking for something totally different than what Christ, you know, put before them with his own own person there. He was not exactly what what they had expected. Well, he wasn't that at all. So what was the difference? Why did so many people follow him? Why did they do that? We answered that. Because never had a man spoke like that man. Once again, that is the emphasis. It's not the persona. It's not about that. It's about the Word of God and the witness of the Word of God, even to the point where they could not lay hands on him. He preached the good news of the gospel. He preached the kingdom of God, the sphere of God's rule by the grace of salvation. When we say kingdom, that's what we're talking about. And what were the other testimonies or witnesses about Christ and who He was? It was the works that He was doing, the works that He was performing. And I just can't can't get over what... An exciting time this must have been. People had so much to work through in their minds. They were afraid of not, they were afraid of stepping away from the law of Moses in any way. So to try and entertain the fact that Messiah had come not to do away with that, but to fulfill that, as Jesus said, was a tremendous challenge for them because they viewed that as cut in stone, and it is. In essence, it is. The law is not going to change, but Christ came to fulfill that. And only the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God could convict them of that, to, could, which is another way of saying it. That's the only thing that could convince them of that. So what does Christ do? It says in the latter part of verse 23, 
And he was healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And again, I say, folks, you're talking about a time in history when there had not been a single diagnosis of any disease whatsoever. And all you had was these trial and error, you know, attempts by people like Luke, I guess, to, <laughs> to come in and to, you know, provide relief, treat the symptoms, I guess. Maybe they had discovered aloe or something. They could stop a little bit of burn pain or, you know, know that some there were certain leaves and so forth. You could rub on something that would act as an antiseptic, those kind of things. And that was trial and error. And you imagine how many people had to suffer before that was even figured out or not doing certain things, you know. Uh, and that's the way it was. Man, if you got sick, that was a big deal. <laughs> You might die, okay? You might die from some of the simplest things. Nobody survived independentitis, I guarantee you. Nobody did. Those kinds of things that we know continue to, to plague us you know, in this life. But it says that he was healing. The Greek word therapeuo, from of course where we get the word therapeutic. And it literally means to relieve or the relief of disease, to cure or to heal which is good because this is specifically what he was doing. This is, this is not questionable. The Bible doesn't question it. And as you know, the scribes and Pharisees from their religious perspective could not deny the miracles of Christ. So what do they do ultimately? They just say, well, you're doing it through the power of the devil. That's how you're doing it, which was tragic for them. But Jesus' works or His healings, His ministry, they, they backed up, if you will, or validated. They were further validations of His words. You know, His words should have been and often were sufficient to turn a heart. They were. And they are today. It's not the miracles. It's just that in this particular time, this is what God had purposed to happen, that this this time of miracles, and it continued on into, in the apostolic age there. You see the apostles doing the same thing, but it came to an end. It was for a time. It was for a purpose. And we know that some people are ill because of unhealthy habits, and others are ill because of what? Three letters. Thank you. <laughs> That's what happens. That's what happens. So it's all within God's economy and has a specific purpose. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, those people there, according to Paul, if you'll recall, they got sick and some of them even died. You remember why? 1 Corinthians chapter 11? Because they were abusing the Lord's Supper. They'd let it get out of hand. That was the time to remember the sacrifice of Christ. That was a time to come. He says, as often as you do this, you do this. Why? In remembrance of me. And what do you do beforehand? You examine your heart and life against sin, just like we do here, as the Scripture teaches. And then you leave in fellowship. They, were, they had turned into gluttons and drunkards at the expense of the Lord's Supper. And Paul says, this is why many of you are sick, and some of you have died. So it was obviously a group of people somewhere, and, and though it's not specifically said, but it may be the people who were in charge of leadership who were allowing this to happen who have a greater accountability. They died. 
Acts 5.1, of course, is the account with Ananias and Sapphira. They died having lied to the Holy Spirit. Job 1.1, we know that Job suffered greatly as a righteous man. And we often go to him to learn much of what we know about the nature of suffering in this life, especially physical suffering. And of course, there's a, a large, large group of people out there in the religious world nowadays in our time who, I mean, this is just sacrilege to them to, them, to think that, that God would bring or be responsible for any kind of physical malady or illness coming upon someone. Well, Scripture would teach us differently. And of course, the story of Job reminds us of a couple of things, that God can do what He wants to do, and He doesn't have to tell us why. That's the way it ends. But that also, the worst thing that can happen in this world is not our physical suffering. That's not what it's about. And if many of you grew up in a, <clears throat> a church like I grew up in, which is, was extremely Arminian in its belief, you learn and were conditioned to believe that salvation was primarily about you. And granted, we understand that and we need to understand that. But what is salvation ultimately about? Glorifying God. He will have His church. The bride of Christ will be presented. That's God's plan. And only God can make that happen. We know and understand that. We look at examples like the other, Lazarus, the one in Luke 16 that I mentioned last week, who knew God uh, and uh, was righteous in his beliefs. In, he, he was a cleansed man because he died and he woke up in the arms of Abraham. And yet he died a beggar. He, he died desiring the crumbs off of that rich man's table. And his situation was destitute. It says that the dog, not in, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it's just saying that he had nobody to take care of him. Nobody whatsoever. We have to ask ourselves why. Or like the, the guy who was blind and he said, the Pharisee said, who, who did sin that this man was born blind? What's the, what's the plan here? Christ's answer was neither his, well, I said did his mother or daddy sin. He said neither his mother or father sin, but this happened to him that God might be glorified. And it begs the question, how much, have given our, how much of us have given ourselves over for any level of suffering, whether it's physical suffering, if that's what needs to take place to, to change me or to bring honor and glory to God, or the other kinds of suffering that we go through in life when we experience rejection and all those other things, the, the things that are kind of more emotional, mental, if you will, in our experience. We experience those things. Paul says this is part of the pie in Philippians. This, is, this was what we were destined to experience. Christ said in this world you'll have tribulations, which will include physical. You know, you're going to have these things. He has overcome all that. He has a purpose. His sovereignty overrides every bit of that. Well, the disciples, but recall, we talked about the power of the Word. The disciples had left everything, everything to follow Jesus. Now get this, before he had ever performed any miracles. They believed him because of what 
the Word of God said. They believed Him because of the witness of God's Word. And this is the strength of their witness. When Christ tells Peter, you know, you're the rock I'm going to build on, okay? And He says that flesh and blood has not convinced you of this, but My Father in heaven. Because they were in a potential, you know, later on of obviously witnessing everything that Christ would would do, you know, feeding the 5,000, feeding the 4,000, all these other things that He did. But nothing had the impact upon them like the Word of God. And somebody like Peter, who was obviously steeped in the Word of God, you know, even to the point where he wouldn't eat certain things, he said, I've never eaten that because I know what the Word of God says about that and I'm not going to do that. His heart had to be changed. His heart had to be changed and it was the Word of God. God spoke to him and said, what I've called you know, clean, don't, don't you call common. Don't do that. Things are changing, Peter, and you got to change with them. Not, not because the law is being done away with, but because it's being fulfilled. And Peter had to be convinced of that through Scripture, more so than the impact of any miracle that he'd ever seen. Which, of course, in his case, included what? (laughs) Walking on water. We need need to to get that and see that clearly. So the healings and other miracles of Jesus must be seen literally as powerful additions, if you will. Further attestations to the evidence of His teaching and preaching. That was the purpose of them. Well, we see that Hebrews chapter two verses three through four says after that he was uh, after he was at the first spoken through the Lord talking about Jesus it was confirmed to us by those who heard God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will those things were there for a purpose, and they did their work, the works of God, according to the writer of Hebrews. John 10, verse 37 and 38, If I do not do the works of my Father, Christ says, do not believe me, but if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand the Father is in me and I in the Father. It was a way to understand more about God, to accept the validations, if you will, of the, of the miracles, but you had to understand that from an Old Testament perspective. That's what the Old Testament says would happen, and that's the strength of it. Not just that he had the power to do that, to touch someone <coughs> and make something, make something happen. Acts 2, 22, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Peter talking. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through Him in our midst just as you yourselves know. And I put that in there because Peter pulls that out and says, you know, you saw what He did. You couldn't deny it. The miracles had their effect But understand, they had their effect because He is the promised Messiah. He is fulfilling what the Word of God had said about Him earlier. And it was only when they could put that together, only when they could put that together. Like when I shared last week from the the two guys on the road to Emmaus, that was their experience specifically. 
they understood much, or maybe I should say, they knew much about the Old Testament law and prophets, but they couldn't get this together with the person of Christ. And Jesus eventually says, you, you're just slow to believe it. You, you, listen, look and see how this hooks up, okay? And it says, as a result of him expounding the Scriptures, their hearts became overwhelmed. It says they burned within them because of the impact of the Word. You know, this ought to drive us to study the Word of God, to study His Word, and to be anchored in the Word of God, not necessarily experiences. I've had a handful of spiritual experiences in my life that are dear to me, but they must all be subjected to the truth of God's Word or else they're invalid. And the power of any experience or or any miracle or anything else does not exceed the truth of God's Word. If you follow what I'm saying, that's what we live by. That's what we protect. Romans 15, 19, where the Apostle Paul is speaking of the power of signs and wonders regarding Christ's preaching in the Spirit. He uses that phrase, the power of signs and wonders, talking about what he did. 1 Corinthians 14, 22 He's talking about tongues. He says, So then tongues are for a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. So here he's literally comparing signs and wonders or these works, which are validations in and of themselves. But he says, But prophecy is for a sign to believers. The preaching of the Word, the teaching of the Word. It's a reference to the Word taking residence in someone having an impact on someone because of the truth of it. And those early disciples, later apostles, believed Him because of the Word of God. Because of the Word of God. Well, Jesus, it says, went about healing every kind of disease, every kind of sickness among the people, And He didn't just heal those who believed in Him, right? No. No. He healed everybody. In Galilee there, His healing was universal. Can you imagine bringing these people, hearing about Him, trying to track Him down? Where was He last seen? And this was immediate stuff, okay? No money had to be given. Just an opportunity for God to do that through His virgin-born Son, Messiah. What a, what a magnitude. You would think that that would be sufficient, right? These great miracles. These great miracles. And they did turn people to Him, toward Him. But the validation came from the truth of God's Word in the Old Testament. And that may have taken some people some time to get there, putting all this together. But eventually that happened with many of them. And I'm sure with some it never did. So-and-so just got healed and that was the end of it. They got what they wanted. Chapter chapter 4, verse 24 says that the news about him spread throughout all Syria. And yes, this is the same Syria that we just bombed, okay? And they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases, pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, 
And it says simply that he healed them. All of Syria. So Syria within, of course, a Roman province which took in literally all of Palestine and all of this area that we've been talking about in Galilee there. You remember we said it was, Galilee was like or 60 miles by 30 miles. And normally if they talked about Syria, uh, particularly they were talking about the area that was just north of there, even though they were included in that area. Syria specifically would have been the area north of them. They would refer to the lower part as Galilee. And he's going through that whole area on foot. I don't know, maybe he had a donkey. But preaching, teaching, and he was, as it said earlier, he is getting after it. He wasn't wasting any time there preaching. Matthew mentions three different areas here. He mentions demoniacs. He mentions epileptics and he mentions paralytics. And these demoniacs, those folks who had afflictions that were literally caused by demons, that dealt with you know either physical or mental issues, and sometimes both. And without going through all the scriptures, you know, there were and look at you can go look at Matthew chapter eight on into chapter nine, uh, especially chapter eight there, and see what he did. You know, he cast the the demons out of the guys there and sends them into the the swine, you know, and so forth. You have all that going on. Epileptics, and apparently epilepsy uh, was an issue then. Uh, The Greek word is uh, seleniazo, and it it literally means lunatic. Luna, as in lunar, and in their economy, it meant moonstruck, okay? And somehow they would associate many times like a, a full moon or something with someone who was you know that's drifted on down into our <laughs> our culture but just kind of out there you know staring at the sky i guess uh but i, I used to have and still do i had a, a cousin she was epileptic and when she had a seizure she didn't fall down and jerk she just did this and they would have to get her that was the nature of her epileptic seizure and i think about this and she could literally, I can see her literally being described as moonstruck, talking about Renee. That's what she would do. A lot of that going on, just a malady. Paralytics, a general term for literally a wide range of handicaps. People born with the same kind of diseases and problems with childbirth that we have today. But all these maladies were either spiritual, mental, or nervous, involved the nervous system, or physical. And Christ healed every single one of them. Well, why did he do that? What did Jesus' miracles accomplish? And we've talked about their general purpose of verification of who he was, but they proved that, that he was indeed divine. And they say in the scripture, no one's ever done this. This has never happened anywhere else. And secondly, they showed the Lord's compassion for the suffering. It says plainly that Jesus had compassion on them. And I'm moving on quickly here in about three or four minutes. They reveal Jesus as the promised Messiah. As again, and I didn't give you the Scriptures in Isaiah, but you can read chapter 35, verses 5 through 10, chapter 61, beginning with verse 11. And they talk about what Messiah would do in this particular area of healing. And then lastly, they prove the coming kingdom was a present reality and a foretaste of what awaits every believer, which was consistent with Matthew's message here about the kingdom of God. It's here, and it's going to get better. (laughs) There's a kingdom awaiting every believer. But Messiah is here now. 
They were on the verge of what we understand to be the church age, waiting upon Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful, wonderful message that was. Jesus' ministry of healing has not been duplicated. And that's important to understand. What He did hasn't been duplicated. And I love, uh, in this particular case, MacArthur Commentary gives a good list of these things. There's six of them. First, he says that, that Jesus healed directly with a word or with a touch. And sometimes from a distance. You remember the centurion who came? I think that's in chapter 8 of Matthew. The centurion who came, and he said, just, just speak the word. I'm in charge of people. I know how this works. I tell one to do this. They do it. You can do it. Christ's response to that was what? Now, you got a Roman centurion. He says, I've not found a faith in Israel to equal that man's faith. What was it about? The Word of God. The spoken Word of God. Jesus healed instantaneously. The Bible says immediately He touched someone and they were healed. He literally put an ear back on a guy's head. That's the only time anything like that is recorded, I understand. He picked it up off the ground and He stuck it back on the guy's head there in the garden. That would get me. I mean, I would be a believer. You know what I'm saying? I, I just can't, you know. Jesus healed completely, never partially. Never. He healed all who came to Him. He healed organic and congenital problems. Oh, this is a tough one, Jesus. You, you're not going to be able to do it. He's really messed up. No, poof. Greek word, poof. And it was done. It was done. And it makes me wonder why the miracles in and of themselves didn't have a greater effect than what they did have. And of course, Jesus, lastly and most profoundly, brought people back to life. Yeah, yeah. Well, John chapter 6 gets into that and it says at the end that they no longer followed him because he starts talking about sacrifice. He starts talking about the demands of following. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and that's again covered in that same 6th chapter of John, verses 44 and 45, you know. The Father calls, and nobody comes unless the Father calls Him. That, that's what happens. Yeah, it is. So where do people go to be grounded? Where do they go so that they can say, you know, this is what I believe. I've seen this work its way into my life. This is, this is where I hang my hat. This is what I believe. And it's always simply the Word of God. Simply that. Not the miraculous per se, as good as that is. I love it when God does something great. I love it when He heals. I believe He's healed before. I believe He's answered prayers about healings. I know times when the doctors come in and say, we don't really get this, but it's, He's all right now, okay? There's been a couple things like that in my lifetime. Yes, I'm going to give God the honor and glory for that, but that is not a validation that exceeds the Word of God because those things can be mimicked. Those things can be used by the evil one. They can. 
this whole thing about miracles and particularly regarding the healings and so forth, it had its time, as I said, when we began. It went away. First Timothy 5.23, where Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, his son in the faith that he loved dearly, he had so much confidence in. He didn't poof heal him. He said, look, you need to take some medicine, which was a little wine, he says, for your stomach's sake. He had some problems. Or, you know, when he leaves Trophimus sick at Miletus, why didn't he just go and heal him or pray over him? Well, those things were fading away. And by the end of the apostolic period, and certainly by the end of the book of Acts, you don't, you don't have that anymore. You don't see that anymore. People want to grab on to something besides the validation of God's Word. They get more excited. That somehow seems more believable to them. It's just like when uh, Thomas touched Jesus' hands. Okay? Oh, my Lord. He said, Thomas, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe because they don't have to have all this. Well, what do they have to bolster their faith? They have the Word of God. And that's all that they have. They followed Him. One minute. They followed Him from Galilee, it says, verse 25. And the Decapolis, which is a reference, and it means ten cities. And there were ten major cities they referred to as Decapolis. Jesus was hitting all of these. And even into Jerusalem and further places throughout Judea, on beyond the Jordan, He says. And He was lighting it up. He was preaching. He was preaching. And within about... Two and a half years or a little better, he'd be done. He'd be done.